If you don't have a Bible, you can stick your hands up. As you will, we'll bring uh, one to you with great joy. But we're going to turn to God's Word again. And uh, this second reading is taken from Luke chapter 15. That's on page um, 1048 on the church Bibles. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Luke chapter 15 from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the floor, and search as carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in your grace and mercy to us, you have uh, revealed yourself to us. That you have not remained hidden, but you have made yourself chiefly known through us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for his word given to us in the scriptures. And so we pray now that you would open our ears and our hearts to understand. We need your help. And we pray that by your spirit you would change our heart to be more like yours. That we would love what you love. That we would desire what you desire. That we would hate what you hate. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, some time ago, I was at uh, uh, the beach with some friends, and we had a, a bonfire. Uh, it was a lovely time, and it was already late at night when we decided to go home, and uh, suddenly one of the guys realized that he'd lost his sunglasses, uh, quite an expensive pair as well. And um, so we all started looking for them, and I have to confess that our... I was very much not invested uh, in this search. Uh, It was late, it was dark, I was tired, and uh, I didn't really have my phone with me. People were looking out with torches, and there were already like 10 people or more looking for these sunglasses on the beach. And if I'm honest, I, I, I didn't really care about these sunglasses. But aren't we often like that with regards to those who do not know the Lord Jesus, to those who are lost? 
not very invested in, in sharing the gospel, in witnessing to Jesus to them. Too busy or preoccupied by other things. And if we're honest, sometimes not uh, really caring about their salvation. And we meet in our text, in the text we've just read in Luke 15, people who couldn't have cared less about the salvation of lost sinners. Actually, it's worse than that. They resent it. It's the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, the elite of the time. And at the view of, of Jesus eating and welcoming sinners, they grumble. These people who surround Jesus, the tax collectors and sinners, they were people who had lived uh, a blatant, uh, immoral life, cheating and stealing, betraying, lying. People who obviously did not deserve salvation, who obviously did not deserve to enter into the kingdom of God. Yet they all flock around Jesus, and Jesus welcomes them, he eats with them. But the Pharisees, they hate to see it. The problem, the problem is that they don't understand Christ. They don't understand his heart. And that can be our problem as well, when we are disinterested in the salvation of those who are lost, when we are disengaged from the work of sharing Christ, the only way to salvation. We have lost sight of the heart of Christ, this heart that compels us to join him in seeking after sinners. The heart of Christ compels us to join him in seeking after sinners. And so Jesus in his kindness unveils his heart through three parables to challenge the grumbling Pharisees, to comfort the sinners who are around him and to teach his disciples. And tonight we will look at the first two parables in verses three to 10 in which we are introduced to the search of Christ and to the joy of Christ. So this is our first point tonight, the search of Christ. The search of Christ. In life, what are you searching after? Is it money, a good career, success, recognition, a family, a house in the country, doing the 282 Monroes. That's probably not the right number, but you get the idea. Or just something a bit more conceptual, like happiness, fulfillment. What you, what you seek, what you are looking for, really reveals your heart. What, what are your, your desires, your, your deepest longings? Okay, so what about Christ? What is his great life search? What is he searching after? Well, Christ seeks after sinners. Christ seeks after sinners. And he illustrates this reality uh, through two parables. Two, that have, uh, two parables that have a similar pattern. Uh, in both, we are presented with someone having lost something. In verse 4, we see a man who has lost a sheep. And in verse 8, a woman who has lost a coin. And what do they do about it? They sit down and grumble and cry about it. No, no, they don't. Look with me, verse 4. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Or look at the woman in verse 8. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the floor, and search carefully until she finds it? 
Of course they do. That's a rhetorical question. That's what anyone in their right mind would do if they'd lost something valuable. When you lose your car keys in your house, you look for them until you find them. If you look at a 50 pound note in your house, you look for them. You look for it until you find it. But notice in both the man and the woman, the manner of the search, the manner of the search. The man leaves the 99 to the relative safety of the open country to go after the lost sheep in verse 4. He goes at length to find it. It is precious and valuable in his eyes. He's not thinking, oh, well, I've got 99 left after all, so I guess I'll just leave this one go. No, he goes after it, and there is urgency in the search. A lost sheep is very vulnerable. It's an easy prey to lots of um, predators, wild animals. Its time is counted, and he knows it. He searches restlessly until he finds it, until he finds it. And imagine his relief as he finds it, bleating in confusion. And see his joy in verse 5, and his strong, tender care as he puts it on his shoulders. The sheep is now safe and is carried home. And the woman, the woman, well, she is relentless and systematic in her search for the coin. She lights a lamp, sweeps the floor, searches carefully. She turns her house upside down to find it, searching in the darkest corners and the most unlikely places. Because this coin is valuable to her, it's tenth, tenfold of savings, worth about a day's wages. She won't stop until she finds it. She won't stop until she finds it. So what does it tell us about the search of Christ. Well, Christ seeks after sinners with the same devotion, restlessness, and single-mindedness. He does not give up at the first hurdle. He will not stop until he finds them. Why? Well, first, because like the lost sheep, they are in a very dangerous position. They are lost, far from God, praise to Satan and sin on the way to death and condemnation. They need rescue, they need saving, and they are no more able to save themselves than a lost sheep is able to find its way back home. It's impossible if you know nothing about sheep. It's impossible. We need a savior. Second, because like the coin, they are valuable and precious to Jesus. He loves them, he hates to see them lost. Notice how Jesus illustrates his point using one sheep, one coin. It's not just a mass of lost people that Jesus cares about, but he cares for the one, for the individual. We are not numbers in his eyes, but persons that he knows fully and loves deeply. So because of the danger of our situation and our value in his eyes, Christ searched for us. Christ searched for sinners. And to what lengths did he go to rescue us? To what lengths did he go to find us? Well, he, the eternal son who existed before all times and through whom all things were created, became man. He left the glory of heaven to live on earth as one of us. He surrendered his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. 
in our place to bring us home to God. That's how far he went to find sinners like us and bring us home. And as he was faced with the prospect of the agony of the cross, of the agony of bearing the wrath of God that we deserved, he did not go back. He didn't say, oh, well, I think that's probably a bit too much. I'm going to go back and leave them lost. No, he went for it, knowing fully what was awaiting him. Because he knew that this was what it would take, and nothing less, to rescue sinners and bring us home. And Christ is now sat. He was raised from the dead, and he sat at the Father's right hand from where he is today, seeking sinners to find them, to apply to them his redemption accomplished on the cross. And how does he do that? He does that by his spirit, through his word. That his church is proclaiming, that his people are proclaiming. And the Lord Jesus uses his providence to bring people to hear his word, be found and saved by him. You see the Two parables show us the spiritual reality behind verse 1. Here we see in our text sinners gathering around Jesus. It looks as though they have just found him. They have just found him. But Jesus teaches that in reality, it was him who found them. It looked as though they had found him, but he was the one who had found them. And this is the spiritual reality behind all of our lives. Consider your life. If you are a Christian tonight, can you not see how Christ was seeking for you even before you knew him? That he found you more than you found him. As I look back, I can see this clearly in my own life, how Christ was seeking after me. In, through the Christian home I was brought, um, born into, sorry, uh, faithful parents who told me the gospel, through the questions one evening of a sister that unsettled me, through the words of a preacher who confronted my hypocrisy and destroyed my false sense of assurance, all these things and many others which, uh, through which Jesus was seeking me and through which little by little he brought me to a point where I was on my knees before him, repenting of my sins, trusting in him, and found by him. I was lost, but he found me. Can you see it as you look back over your life? Even in the, the seemingly mundane or, or random events, the things that slowly led you step by step to him, it was Christ. It was Christ seeking after you. It was Christ seeking after you. You were lost, but he found you. So consider these things. Consider these things and praise him, thanking. Marvel at his grace, at his love to you. You were lost, but he found you. This must, have given, sorry, this must have given a great deal of comfort to the sinners who were surrounding Jesus in this story in Luke 15. They would have noticed without any doubt the angry looks of the Pharisees, maybe heard their grumbling. But what if they were right? 
I mean, they were the religious leaders at the time. They would know better than them. What if, what if Jesus would suddenly realize the, the bunch of sinners around him and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be surrounded by these kind of people. What if they were right? What, what if they were really too unworthy for Jesus? Well, this will not happen. They will not be cast out by Jesus. Because this is, these are the people that Jesus is looking for, is looking after. He has brought them home and will never cast them out. Do you think that you are unworthy of Jesus? Well, be comforted because that's exactly the kind of people Jesus is looking for. If you repent, you belong with Jesus. You belong with his kingdom. No matter what others think or say, say sorry. Remember that he found you more than you found him. And if you have not yet been found by Jesus, I wonder if you realize that you are lost, that you maybe have a sense of it, you're wandering through life without clear direction, not, not really sure where you're going, not even sure where you want to go. Maybe you have some um, definite, some goals in your mind for your life, but are they keeping you under the illusion that you have a definite destination when in reality it's just a dead end? And deep down you know it. Aren't you lost morally, not, not sure what's right, what's wrong? Not sure what to do with this guilt in your heart for some things you've said and done that you know weren't right. Don't you see that you are lost far from God? Yet, yet isn't Christ searching after you? Isn't Christ searching after you? What brought you tonight? You might say a friend. You might say curiosity. Or you might even say, well, I don't know. But what if it was Christ behind the friend, behind the curiosity, behind the unknown reason, Christ searching after you, Christ wanting to find you and bring you home? Isn't tonight the time to be found by Christ, to repent of your sins, confess that you are lost, that you need a savior, like the sinners and the tax collectors in these texts? Go to Jesus, listen to his voice. You will see that he will welcome you into an intimate relationship with you just as he did back then with these people. Yet as Jesus reveals what he's searching for, he is also sharply challenging the Pharisees. The choice of telling the story of a lost sheep was intentional. In the Old Testament, God's people were often likened to a flock of sheep of whom God was the shepherd. And God had given kings and spiritual leaders over his people, over Israel, to care for them, to lead them in God's ways, to shepherd his people in his name. Yet they had done a terrible job. They had done a terrible job. And that's what we read about earlier in the service in Ezekiel 34. God condemning these bad leaders, these bad shepherds, shepherds who didn't care for the sheep, who cared only for themselves, shepherds who, uh, leaders who despised and abused people under their care. 
Let me just read from verse 4 of Ezekiel 34. It says this, You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Does that remind you of someone in, in chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel? Well, the Pharisees. The Pharisees as religious leaders, spiritual leaders, they should have sought after sinners to plead with them to return to God. But they don't. They despise them. They resent that they have been found. And Jesus is implicitly here comparing them to the fair leaders of Ezekiel 34, upon whom God's judgment was pronounced. A few verses later in Ezekiel 34, God promises this. It's in verse 11. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And in verse 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. Does that remind you of someone in Luke 15? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. God in the flesh, searching for lost sinners to bring them back to life, to God, to himself. This is the heart of Christ for sinners. But the Pharisees are, are strangers to this heart. They don't know it. And so they don't share in the search of Christ. They have no compassion over lost sinners. Now, do you know the heart of Christ? Do you really know it? Because if you don't, you will not share in his search for, Christ, for sinners. But if Christ has found you, you know his heart. You've experienced it yourself as he found you when you were lost. You are not a stranger to Christ like the Pharisees. And Christ wants you to share in his lost, in his search for lost sinners. Sorry. He wants to find sinners through you, through us, his church. And he compels us to it through the way he himself searched for us. Not, from, not occasionally, sorry, not half-heartedly, not just when he felt like it. No, that's not the way he searched for us. And so he wants us as well to search after sinners wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, relentlessly, single-mindedly, that they would be found, that they would be found by Christ through us. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Well, it means getting to know, getting to know those who are still lost, those who don't know Jesus yet, spending time with them regularly, getting to know your neighbors, your co-workers, Join a club. Be open about your faith to people around you. Pray for them. Not just from time to time, but pray for them with zeal and consistency. Invite them to church. Invite them to, to read some of the Bible with you, to meet the Lord Jesus by themselves. Be a committed member of society for Christ and for the lost. Generally care for these people. You know, slightly over a year ago, with our church, we've um, adopted a simplified calendar, keeping church events uh, in the evening to a minimum. Sundays, uh, Wednesday evenings, and the occasional Monday 
as well. And the explicit purpose of that was for all of us to have more time to be active in our communities, to be witnesses of Jesus, not so that we would have more time in front of a telly, as tempting as that is. What are you searching for? Your comfort, your own advancement, or are you sharing in Christ's great search after sinners? What are we as a church seeking after? Are we simply seeking to maintain an institution? Are we content with running our own little ministries for ourselves? Or are we focused together on bringing the good news to the lost? Are we committed to being trained, to being equipped for doing that? Are we ready to give sacrificially of our resources, of our time, of ourselves, for maybe more church planting or of a kind of gospel work? I shouldn't have said maybe church planting, for church planting. That's our heart, planting churches. Christ is still seeking sinners today. That's a fantastic news. Christ is still seeking sinners today through his church, through us. So let us be compelled by the search of Christ to seek ourselves after sinners. The search of Christ compels us to seek after sinners. Now the task ahead is hard. What will sustain our relentless, our, our restless search after lost sinners? What will keep us from despondency? Well, it is the deep drive behind the search of Christ. The other aspect of his heart that he un unveils in this passage, it is the joy of Christ. This is our, our second, final, and, and short point. The joy of Christ. What brings you joy in life? Like, great joy. You know, this kind of joy that you're, you're ready to strive and toil for, the thing that you know will bring you so much joy. What's this kind of joy for you? Again, our joys reveal our heart, what we value, what we desire. Okay, so now Jesus, what brings him great joy? Amazing joy. Well, according to a passage, a sinner who repents. A sinner who repents. So simple, yet so amazing. A sinner who repents. In fact, in our passage, who is the most joyful? Well, it's Jesus. It's clear from the parables. Look at the man and the woman. They are full of joy. Look at verse 5 and 6 and verse 9. So let me read from verse 5. He, after, so when he finds it, the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then look at the woman in verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. They had lost something valuable to them, dear to their heart. And when they find it, they are full of joy, an overflow of joy, an extravagant joy. And so they invite their friends, their neighbors to throw a party, to celebrate together. And what does this illustration point to? Let's look at verse 7 and verse 10, some of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And in verse 10, in the same way, 
I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. The joy of God and the angels when one sinner repents. Great joy. Have you ever thought of what happened the day when you became a Christian? The day when you repented of your sins? Well, here you have the answer. There was a huge celebration and joy beyond comprehension in heaven. Have you ever thought of that? God wasn't like, oh well, it was about time that he or she repented, huh? No, he rejoiced. He rejoiced over you along with all the angels around him. I wonder what joy you, what words, sorry, you um, associate with repentance. Joy is probably the first one that comes to mind. Yet they belong together. They belong together. The repentance Jesus talks about here is the dramatic turn from sin to God. This turn that marks the beginning of the Christian life. It's when you say to God that I am guilty. I am a sinner before you. I am not worthy of you, but forgive my sins, and I want to live for you. I don't want to live for myself, for my sin anymore. I want to live for you. And when God hears a sinner pray this prayer, he rejoices. He answers, and he rejoices. And as we read in verse 1 that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, I can just imagine the heart of Christ swelling with joy as these sinners were found. The most joyful person in this passage. But who is the least joyful in our passage? The Pharisees and the scribes. They are all standing in the corner, grumbling, the kind of people that kill the vibe at a party. They are revealing themselves not to be friends of God, not to be friends of Jesus, as they refuse the invitation to rejoice with him. In fact, it's quite likely that Jesus is rebuking them in verse 7, when he says, I tell you that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Saying this ironically to these people who believe they are righteous, they don't need to repent. But Jesus tells them, God doesn't rejoice over you. God rejoices over these people that you despise them, that you hate. But he does not rejoice over you because you are self-righteous. They don't get the joy of Christ. They don't get the heart of Christ. And that's a sadness. Because in as much as Christ wants us to share in, in his search after lost sinners, he wants us to share in his joy over found sinners. In as much as Christ wants us to share in his search after lost sinners, he wants us to share in his joy over found sinners. As we see in the parable, this joy is to be shared. Jesus wants to share it with us. It is armed with this joy that Christ searched after sinners, that he went all the way to the cross, to this agony, to save us because of the joy that was laid before him. And it is this joy that will motivate us, that will sustain our efforts to seek after sinners. Think of the people you know, think of the people around you, people dear to your heart who do not know Jesus yet. Now, imagine the joy, think of the joy that their repentance would bring. 
to Jesus, to the angels, to you, to them. Imagine it for a second. Isn't this joy worth all the efforts, worth all the prayers, all the discouragements as well that often come along as we are engaged in this work to search after sinners? Isn't this joy greater than all the joys this world has to offer? And this joy is not a pipe dream. It is certain because Christ is still seeking after sinners today. We will see people be found by Christ in our lifetime. I don't know how many baptisms we've had this year, but we've had quite a few. We've seen in our church people be found by the Lord Jesus. And we will continue to see that as we continue to seek after sinners as well. So let this joy capture your imagination. Let it be your drive. Don't settle for a lesser joy than that of a sinner turning to God and be saved. Maybe you are here tonight and you are a stranger to this amazing joy of Christ. Well, it can become yours simply by repentance. If you come to him in prayer, acknowledging your sins and asking for forgiveness, committing your life into his hands. If you do so, if you want to do so, please tell us, me or someone else here. Chat about someone, uh, chat about it to someone after the end of the service. Because the joy of repentance is a joy to be shared. Don't keep it for yourself. Let's rejoice together with God, the angels, and all the saints. The joy of Christ compels us to seek after sinners. When I was standing uh, on this beach where the sunglasses had been lost, I had no zeal in the searching and no joy in the finding. But the heart of Christ forbids us from being like that with respect to lost sinners. For both the search of Christ and the joy of Christ compel us to seek after sinners that they may be found by Christ and rejoice forevermore. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came to save sinners. We thank you that he searched after us and how so many of us in this room can testify that Christ has found us, that he has rescued us. We were lost in our sins, dead and far from you, but he has given us new life. And we praise you, Father, for sending your son to find sinners. We pray that you would help us to be filled with his heart, with his love for sinners, that we would also seek after sinners that we would share in this joy. And yes, oh, Father, we long for more sinners to repent, for more sinners to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to know forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. And so we pray, give us this joy more and more as a church family, that we would rejoice at seeing Christ finding sinners, even through us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. <clears throat>